0: You are listening to a sermon from Covenant Hope Church. Thank you for engaging with us. If you would like more information about our church family, please visit www.covenanthope.church. We pray that this sermon encourages and challenges you today morning, Covenant Hope. If you have a Bible, grab it and turn to Genesis chapters 40 and 41. Guess my name is Cody. I'm one of the pastors here and have the opportunity to open up the scriptures for us regularly and love to do so. We're going to continue in our series through the book of Genesis. We're going to pick up in Genesis 40 and uh, as you've probably seen, we're having some screen troubles this morning. So I'm going to go ahead and have our team in the back just go ahead and cut that so that's not distracting for you. And I will do my best to make sure you have uh, the notes here as we outline them. Uh, if you are a guest this morning, we are happy uh, and glad that you're here and decided to worship with us. Why don't we walk through books of the Bible together because we want to know what God has to say. And so we've been in the book of Genesis for over a year now. and We're coming towards the end of the story. Uh, but what we see here is a is the goodness of our God in the midst of a very difficult circumstances. And we're going to pick up here in the story of Joseph in chapters 40 and 41. If you don't have a Bible You can grab one of those black hardcover Bibles in the pew back in front of you and turn to page 35 to follow along with us. I want you to be looking down at the Bible. It's going to be helpful for you uh, as we walk through this story together. Do you uh, call to mind the child song? He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the wind and the rain in his hands. He's got you and me, brother, in his hands. I think you, you probably know the, the song, right? You probably wanted me to sing it, but that'd be bad for you. I'm not going to sing it this morning. But you can call to mind this beautiful song for children. It's packed with truth. It's packed with, with wonderful meaning about who our God is. But do you ever find yourself wondering, God, are you really in control? Are you really working in my life? Think about the job that you maybe have or, or want to have. The boss that, that you work under, you feel like God is not giving you, uh, for them to see you in your job. Or maybe it's in your parenting and your children are they're struggling to, to listen and obey. Or maybe they are struggling in school. Maybe it's your finances, where you've, you've prayed that you'd be able to get out of debt, but the Lord hasn't seemed to provide that opportunity for you. Maybe you look around the world, and you see poverty and sickness and war. Some of you, maybe it's more personal, and you're waiting on some particular thing, or maybe you're waiting and not have an answer. Oftentimes, we project our own inability, our own sense of, of not being in control on God. Where we, we, we ask Him, God, well, why aren't you working? And well, if we'll look backwards at His faithfulness, we see that God has been working the whole time. But in the moment, it can be very easy for us to feel like God's not in control. But here in these two chapters, as we see a a turn, a climax in the story of Joseph, we see that God is absolutely in control. And so as we walk through these two chapters this morning, here's what we're going to see. God providentially works through dreams to bring Joseph out of prison into Pharaoh's side to provide for his people. Now, if, if you're a Christian today, you've called the name of Jesus, we talk about making mature disciples here at Covenant Hope. And this, this uh, truth uh, that we know that God is working in the world, it, it matters and it actually helps us live faithfully to what he's called us to. And so here's what we need to do today. We must trust God because he holds the future of his people and even the nations in his hands. We must trust God because he holds the future of his people and even the nations in his hands. As a review, if you're just jumping into the story with us, I want to remind you of the past few chapters. Right, Genesis 37 centers now on the family of Jacob, but on this son, this this young son named Joseph. He was betrayed by his brothers. They throw him into a pit. They sold him into slavery. That was after they had decided not to kill him. And last week we saw that Joseph was falsely accused and then falsely imprisoned. But at the end of chapter 39, here's what we see. We see that God was with Joseph, and so much so that God blessed Joseph while he was in prison. And our story today will center on Joseph, but remember, God is the main character of the story. God is the one working behind the scenes. And as we encounter God's work in these two chapters, we see his sovereignty and his providence. His sovereignty and his providence. Now, the Bible doesn't use these two words explicitly, but it's very clear that this is what's happening. So let me give you two definitions of one for sovereignty and one for providence. They may be words that you don't think about often. They they may be big Christian words, but they're, they're fairly simple to understand. Sovereignty means that God has the right and the power to do as he wills. What that means is God is in full control of every detail in the universe. From every detail of your life, every hair that grows on your head, to every star that explodes in another galaxy far, far away. God is in control of every detail of our universe. But also, God is providentially working. So providence means... It's this act of purposefully providing for, sustaining, and governing the world. Think about it this way. God is purposefully providing for his people. Providence means God is purposely providing for his people. And we see these two attributes of God working out in these two uh, chapters this morning. So as we walk through the story, I want to show you two truths that I hope will enable you to trust God more fully and live more faithfully to him. So two truths this morning. Truth number one, God controls the future of individuals. God controls the future of individuals. Look there at chapter 40, verse 1. After this, the king of Egypt's cupbearer and baker offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guards in prison where Joseph was confined. Now, we gained some background into the lives of these two very important officials in Egypt. Both of these men had had a job to protect the Pharaoh by tasting anything he drank and eating anything that he was going to eat. Uh, Their job was to make sure he didn't get poisoned. That's a job I don't want, right? If any job in the, in the kingdom, I don't want that job. You see here, think about it. They are like the secret service uh, for the Pharaoh. They're, to, they're there to make sure that he is not uh, poisoned in any way. Now, this background information informs us that there was probably a conspiracy in the kingdom, Somebody had probably tried to kill the Pharaoh. He found out and narrowly escaped. And so to figure out what had happened, he puts both of these men in prison until he can figure it out who's behind it. And in verse four, we see that Joseph made friends with these high-ranking officials. Right, so this just so happened that both these men had dreams. And they were different dreams with different meanings. But they don't know what they meant, and so they're troubled, uh, we're told. Both of these dreams are distraught, verse 6 tells us. And so Joseph, being the good attendee, remember they're in his care, he's there to look after them. He, he comes up and says, What's wrong? Well, why are you so sad? And now, dreams that we've seen have been very important in the story of Joseph here at the end of the book of Genesis. Right now, we understand why. Look there at verse 8. He said, We had dreams. Who gives dreams? God does. Remember, he's working behind the scenes. They said to him, but there is no one to interpret them. And then Joseph said to them, don't interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. So both the dreams themselves belong to God, but then also the interpretation to understand the dreams belong to God. So now we're going to see these individuals, now God is working in their lives. Number one, we're going to see the cupbearer. First, we're going to see the cupbearer. The cupbearer's dream went like this. There was a vine and it sprouted quickly with three branches and it blossomed into grapes. And he was able to take those grapes and fill up the Pharaoh's cup. So Joseph follows up this dream, this explanation of the dream in verse 12. He says, the three branches are three days. In just three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position. You will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand the way you used to when you were his cupbearer. This is good news, right? This is a good dream that this is going to happen to the cupbearer. But the second individual we see is the baker, the chief baker. He had overheard the conversation between Joseph and the cupbearer, and it gives him confidence. He said, well, hey, he had a good dream. I'm going to go up to him, and I'm going to hear what my dream's about, but... He didn't know that his dream didn't have the same meaning. The basket over his head and the birds eating from it weren't a good thing. Look at verse 18. This is its interpretation. Joseph replied, these three baskets are three days. In just three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from off of you. Right? It's this idea of this idiom where, yes, for the cupbearer, he's going to lift him up and raise him back to his position. But for the baker, he's going to cut off his head. Then the birds will eat the flesh from your body. I mean, it's a pretty, pretty graphic scene here for the baker. He's going to be killed by Pharaoh. And we can probably surmise that it was the baker who was the one behind the conspiracy to kill Pharaoh. And so what happens? These dreams come exactly, they happen exactly how Joseph said they would. Look at verse 20. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he gave a feast for all of his servants. He elevated the chief cupbearer and the chief baker among his servants. Pharaoh restored the chief cupbearer to his position as cupbearer, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Verse 22, but Pharaoh hanged the chief baker, just as Joseph had explained to them. God's revelation through these two dreams demonstrate his work in these two individuals' lives. He gave the interpretation to Joseph, and that displays his sovereignty and his providence to work out his plan. Now, you may be asking, what plan is that? How does this actually help Joseph? Well, let's turn to Joseph. And before these men are taken out of prison, Joseph follows up the interpretation of the cupbearer with a request Joseph knows that this man's going to be released. He knows that he's going to have an audience with the Pharaoh. And notice the four things Joseph asks of this cupbearer. Look at verse 14. But when all goes well for you, remember, Acts number one, that I was with you. Acts number two, please show kindness to me. That's the same word for kindness we saw last week in chapter 39. Third action, by mentioning me to Pharaoh. Tell him about me. Let me make my case before him. And the fourth action get me out of this prison. Joseph tries, get me out of here. And he pleads his case, much like he had done in the pit with his brothers. He's asking to be freed. But why should the cupbearer do this? Verse 15, Joseph tells us, For I was kidnapped from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I have done nothing that they should put me in the dungeon, literally the pit. They should not put me in this pit to be a slave, to be a prisoner. And look down at verse 23, the hard part of this chapter. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. And so the chapter ends with Joseph being forgotten. And look at verse 1 of chapter 41. At the the end of two years two years Joseph is staying in prison. We get to pass over this chapter transition super easy but for Joseph it was two long years. Why does God let his people sit in these situations? I'm sure you can think of Joseph he can recall his own dreams in his mind and he knows that he thought that these dreams meant that he was going to have a prominent role in God's family or a prominent role in what God was going to have him do, yet he's in prison. Situations like these test our trust in God and in his plan, in his goodness for us. And we don't always get the answers that we won't. Rarely do we get them during these trials. That we will spin our wheels just trying to look for those answers. But remember, God doesn't waste any of these circumstances. The future belongs to God. and Only he can reveal it, even here to Joseph. And therefore, we must be reminded to leave the future in God's hands and trust him. Peter, in his first letter, tells us, So then, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator while doing what is good. Peter reminds us is what Joseph should be doing is do the next right thing. And also understand that the timing of these events were demonstrating God's plan. They were determined by God, not by Joseph's desire and not by even the cupbearer's forgetfulness. Right? Even though the cupbearer forgot Joseph, God never did. God remembers his people. God is the one who will send Pharaoh the dreams here in just a moment. There was an elderly lady who was speaking with her pastor. She was diagnosed with dementia and they were having a conversation. And you could tell there were periods of time where she would remember all that God had done in her life. And there were times where she would struggle to even think of God, be able to mention his name. And in a moment of clarity, she told the pastor this. I may forget God, but he will never forget me. I may forget God, but he will never forget me. This is true, church, that God never forgets us. He will never forget his people. He has never forgotten you and he never will. And so when we look at the future and we have this anxiety over what is going to happen, God has already worked out the things needed for that. In times where our situations are depressing, We can trust God because he is in control. He cares for us and he hasn't forgotten us. And to be honest, church, it helps us to to produce patience. And for us to grow in our faith and our trust in the waiting. God hasn't forgotten us. God is there with us. So we must trust God. Why? Because he holds the future in his hands. We've seen him. With these three individuals, Joseph and the two chief uh, officials. But there's a second truth we see. Truth number two, God controls the future of nations. God doesn't just control the future of individuals. He controls the future of nations. And we pick up in the story here in chapter 41. Pharaoh has had two dreams. And we'll find out that they are actually about Egypt's future. And so the first dream is about Cows. Uh, Seven nice-looking cows, the kind of cows you would eat and have for steak. I mean, they're nice-looking cows here. But seven really sickly, thin cows come out of nowhere and eat them. And the Pharaoh, obviously, he's distraught, and he's awoken. In in the middle of the night, he, he gets back to sleep, and he has another dream. But it's seven heads of grain. First seven plump heads of grain, and then the sickly thin heads of grain, come and eat those heads of grain. So the Pharaoh is completely uh, just terrified of what's about to happen. Verse 8, though, look here when he wakes up. When the morning came, he was troubled. So he summoned all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. See here, church, Pharaoh is given a dream, but not just about him. It's about all of Egypt. And he calls these Uh, These magicians together quickly and swiftly. He's clearly concerned about the dream, and he probably believes it's ill-intended. And so he gathers every single magician, every single person he can grab at his disposal. It communicates the seriousness uh, by which he took this situation. And Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them. Although he gets every single one of these magicians, they are ineffective, ineffective at their jobs. Completely ineffective. They're like the weathermen. men. Right? they're, you know, they're only, ha- only half right, half the time. Right, that's exactly what happens here. They can give him no answer. We don't know, Pharaoh. Nothing, not a single one. In verses nine through 13, we see it's clear that none of those magicians can interpret the dreams. The cupbearer remembers, oh, I had a dream. And oh wait, there was a Hebrew who was in prison with me who interpreted my dreams. And he tells Pharaoh, Pharaoh, I remember my faults when I sinned against you and you had put me in prison. We, I had a dream. And everything happened exactly the way that the dream laid out. And Joseph, this Hebrew slave, he told us what was going to happen. Maybe he can interpret your dream. In verse 14, And the Pharaoh sent for Joseph and they quickly brought him from the dungeon. He shaved his head. He changed his clothes and went to Pharaoh, notice the urgency. Quickly, one verse. Pharaoh calls for Joseph, and in verse uh, verse fifteen, Pharaoh tells Joseph these two dreams, and that he needs to understand them. And Joseph, he responds, look down there at verse sixteen. I am not able to. Joseph answered Pharaoh. What do you mean, Joseph? What do you mean you can't interpret these dreams? This is your one chance to get out of prison. But in this moment, Joseph reminds us of a very important fact. It is God who will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. It's God. We're alerted once again to God's sovereignty and that he is working in the story. Both God gives the dream and he gives the interpretation. God reveals this to Joseph. That not that this is something that Pharaoh is going to like, but that this will give the Pharaoh peace in understanding what is about to take place. And so the Pharaoh jumps straight into telling these two dreams. In verse 17, he tells Joseph about the seven healthy cows, the seven sickly cows. But he adds his own commentary uh, in verse 19. He said, I've never seen such sickly cows in all the lands of Egypt. I mean, he says, these are straight up some sick cows. And he shares about the other dream. And there's he- seven heads of grain. And the seven thin heads of grain. Come and eat the healthy ones. And he says, I told the magicians, but no one can tell me what it means. The tension's building. Can Joseph tell Pharaoh what these dreams mean? Look at verse 25. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, Pharaoh's dream mean, dreams mean the same thing. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he's about to do. Notice before he gives the interpretation... He he has a moment to tell him, Pharaoh, these dreams are from God and our God is sovereign over the entire nation of Egypt. And through God's revelation, Joseph will now interpret these dreams. Look there, verse 26. The seven good cows are seven years and the seven good heads are seven years. The dreams mean the same things. The seven thin, sickly cows that came up after the seven years and the seven worthless cows Uh, heads of grain scorched by the east wind are seven years of famine and so Joseph explains that there's seven good years about to come but then there's seven really bad years of famine about to come so Joseph tells Pharaoh once again of God's sovereignty in verse 28 he said it is just as I told Pharaoh God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do God is working And Joseph explains the magnitude of what's about to take place in Egypt. And notice how many verses that is dedicated to how bad this famine is going to be. Verse 29, one verse, seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt. One sentence, that's it. Verse 30 then, after then, seven years of famine will take place, and all the abundance in the land of Egypt will be forgotten. Remember, who had been forgotten earlier in the story? Joseph. And so Moses, the author, is using these words to help us think this is really important. Those seven years of prosperity, that's good. But the famine is going to be so bad that you forget them. The famine will devastate the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered because of the famine that follows it. For the famine will be very severe. This famine will wipe out everything, Joseph says. And in verse 32, since the dream was given twice to Pharaoh, it means that this matter has been determined by God. And he will carry it out soon. So we learn something here. That since God has given Pharaoh two dreams, it's certain, it's fixed. God has, is working, God is causing this to happen. And verse 33, so now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Remember Joseph just two years ago? Remember that he was begging to be released? I think God has worked on his heart and he's trusting God's plan no matter what. Joseph could have said, Let me run your country. He doesn't do that. He says, You need to put someone who is wise and discerning in over Egypt. And Joseph goes on to tell him how he should do that in verses 34 through 36, right? Instead of indulging in the seven years of abundance and prosperity, he says you should save one-fifth of the grain. He wants to tax people. He wants to let them grow their crop, take it and store it for the famine so they can ration it and then make sure that others can have the food that they need. You see, often when we don't think about years That may be hard in the future. We may indulge ourselves in those years of prosperity. But this will keep Egypt from being wiped out, and really other nations as well. I want you to understand here that Egypt was a world power at this moment, and they will continue to be for a few hundred years. And all this is by God's providence. These dreams demonstrate God's power even over them. Particularly his control of Egypt's future. Just notice the symbols that are in these dreams. Cows, the Nile, grain. All symbols of Egypt's might and power and their religion. And so God's saying, none of that matters. Your strength doesn't matter. You're false. Gods can't help you. I'm in control. I'm the one working. Behind the scenes, they, Egypt, are subject to God, both his mercy and his judgment. It is God who keeps his promises. It's God who we trust in. And so church, let me be very clear with us this morning. We should be 100% thankful that we live in our country, free to worship as we do. And we should bring the gospel to bear on our country. But may we never put our trust in anything other than God. May we not put our trust in an individual, a group of people, or even our own government because salvation is only found in God. This reminds us that even the most powerful nation on the planet at this time is subject to God's plans for them. And so church, may we be a people who look to God and trust him for all areas of our life, whether it's salvation or even some of the smallest details. And so Egypt is not the only nation to be dealt with here. Egypt is not the only nation that's under God's control. God's working out his plan for the future nation of Israel, too. So we see this in the person of Joseph. Look down there at verse 37. Notice what Pharaoh does. The proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants, and he said to them, Can we find anyone like this, a man who has God's spirit in him? He says, Can anyone beat Joseph, basically? And I wouldn't, I wouldn't read into this and think that Pharaoh thinks that it's God, Yahweh, that is working in Joseph. He at least thinks that something divine is helping Joseph. In verse 39, so Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one as discerning and wise as you are. You will be over my house and my people will obey your commands. Only I as king will be greater than you. And so when Pharaoh gets This interpretation, he understands that Joseph is able to rightly understand them and then actually do something about it. So, and so the Pharaoh gives Joseph his signet ring; it's the same symbol as the king would have. He clothes him with fine garments. There's a great reversal, right? When Joseph in chapter 37 was given a coat by his father, it was stripped away from him by his brothers. But now he's been raised. To second in command in Egypt, he's given back a coat, a garment. He's in the second chariot so that when people see him come by, they know that he's in charge. Pharaoh even gives him a wife and a new name. And Joseph has been raised from the lowly status of a slave to the second in command. church, God often works through the lowly and the humble to bring about his plans. God often works through the lowly and the humble. And even we'll see later in the book of Exodus that God will humble the proud, being the nation of Egypt. God works in the lowly and the humble. And so if you find yourself in that situation this morning, you, you feel like you've been humbled this week or during this season of life, that's exactly where God wants you to use you. It's Exactly where God wants you to use you. Look there at verse 46. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. 13 years. That Joseph had been sold, had worked in Potiphar's house, had been put in prison and he waited. 13 years. Joseph's interpretation and then the implementation of his plan led Egypt to great abundance of grain. Right, so Joseph now uses his authority to make sure that these people are cared for. And so much so that he stops measuring in verse 49. Look there at verse 49. So Joseph stored up grain in such an abundance like the sand of the sea. What does that remind you of? That he stopped measuring it because it was beyond measure. I think here we have a small fulfillment of the promise in Genesis chapter 12. That like the sand of the seashore, God was going to bless Abraham and the nations. And when Abraham went outside in the dark, and God said, look up in the sky. And he said, I, you, you, try to count those stars. You can't count them. That's how many children you're going to have. And so even here, Joseph, as a means of God's providence, begins to bless the nations. And so during this time, though, Joseph has two sons. God blesses him with two sons. And these sons help us, help us understand that Joseph doesn't forget the Lord. Oftentimes, uh, those in god's, uh, people, god's people would marry outside of their family. They would be tempted into idolatry and worshiping false gods. Joseph doesn't do that. Look there, verse 51. He says, Joseph named the firstborn Manasseh and said, God has made me forget all my hardship in my whole family. Everything I walked through, every hardship, God has now given me everything that I could ask for. And I'm going to praise him for that. In verse 52, a second son was named Ephraim. And he said, God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Although I'm away from my family, although I'm in a foreign land, God has been kind to me and blessed me. And so these seven years of abundance in the land of Egypt came to an end, verse 53 tells us and the seven years of famine began just as joseph had said and so we see here, church that the land of egypt is is stricken by famine so much so that that they have to ration out the grain people come to pharaoh hey give us food and he says no go to joseph whatever you, whatever he tells you do it and so joseph sells back this grain probably to make sure that they had what they needed And able to care for Egypt. But look down there at verse 57. Every land came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain. For the famine was severe in every land. God has set the stage to care for his people. Right, yes, he's in control of Egypt, but he's also in control of Israel. Not even a widespread famine can keep God from his promises or fulfilling his plan of restoration. Jacob and, Jacob and his family, will see in the next chapter, that they experience this famine themselves. They're going to come to Egypt. And so God is making a way for his people to be provided for, even when they didn't even know what was happening. They didn't know what Joseph was. They didn't know he was alive. They will now be provided for, even in a drought. So God uses Egypt to provide for Israel. And so we've seen that God controls the future, yes, of individuals, but also the future of nations. And this helps us so that we can trust God with our future. So that we can trust God with our future. And we can consider this story of Joseph. We consider how he was mistreated. He was sold into slavery by his brothers, no less. He was falsely accused, falsely imprisoned. Thirteen years And we see his faith continue despite all these circumstances. He trusted God's sovereignty and his providence. He didn't give up in trusting God and we can do the same. Right? The story, Joseph's entire life encourages us to trust God no matter what comes our way. We've seen God work through these set of dreams from Joseph to the cupbearer to even Pharaoh. And God reveals his plan A plan that would save his people and bless the nations. And in many ways, as I said, it's a small fulfillment of his promise to Abraham. But church, we don't don't just have dreams. We don't have have to rely on dreams. We have something better. You see, Joseph was acting as God's prophet to the people of Egypt. God had revealed what he was going to do in a dream. They needed Joseph to interpret that. They needed a prophet. They needed God's un- God's revelation to understand what He was going to do. So the dreams are worthless without any kind of interpretation. Church, we have a prophet as well, but a better one. His name's Jesus. That Jesus is God's word from eternity past. That Jesus is the very revelation of God Himself. Jesus in John fourteen said, "The one who has seen me has seen the Father." In Jesus, we see the plan of God to restore all of creation to himself. Jesus is God's answer to all the sin, all the brokenness, and all the pain in the world. And that when we see Jesus, we see God. And you might ask, how does Jesus even do that? Well, since Jesus is God, he was able to live a perfect life. Faithful to God's standard and was righteous even more than Joseph. But Jesus was actually killed and actually thrown into a tomb. But Jesus didn't stay dead. God raised him on the third day. And we cannot only trust Jesus as God's word, we can trust Jesus for our salvation. That Jesus is the way that we are made right with God. Both for the present and the future. When we place our trust in Christ, we have a new perspective on today because our future is held in God's hands. Nothing that comes our way can separate us from God, Romans 8 tells us. And after Jesus was raised from the dead, he ascended to the right hand of God and so Jesus now mediates on our behalf. He sits at the highest court, the highest council. Is in charge of all these things. God the Father is working out His plan, and yes, Jesus the Son is interceding for, for us along the way, and so we don't have to worry. God's plan is intact, and our God, our Savior, is there working on our behalf. We can trust Him. We can trust God in all the midst of, of whatever circumstances we face. You see, trust produces faithfulness. Trust produces faithfulness and you can focus on being faithful in any circumstance when you trust God in church one day Christ is going to return for us and make all things new that future is secure and set there's nothing to worry about now this doesn't mean though that we won't Experience trouble. It doesn't mean that, like Joseph's, for some reason, that we will be brought to some sense of fame or power or authority. That's not what it means. But what it does mean is that when Jesus comes back, we will be raised, glorified with him. And so that our future is glorious for eternity, get to praise God for all that he has done. We can look forward to a future that is intact and eternal glory. With God forever and some of us may experience hardship. some of us may experience triumph in whatever circumstance God gives us we can trust him because our futures are sure we can give ourselves fully to God's plan we can trust him with every detail of our lives from our parenting to our finances from times of waiting to politics From difficulties to successes, we can trust God. Why? Because our God holds the future of his people and even the nations in his hands. Trust him this morning. Trust him today and walk in faithfulness. Would you pray with me? God in heaven, we see the story of Joseph and we can think about all the hardship that he faced. We can see how you raised him to a place of prominence and authority so that you could continue your plan to provide for your people, protect their families so that the the Messiah would be born. God, we know that you continually work out your plan. And so God, in times of doubt, when we struggle, To trust you, God, would you give us perseverance? Would you help us? Would you be with us in these times? God, would you make us a church that come alongside of each other and we pray and encourage and lift each other up? God, I pray that we would be a church that trusts you no matter what comes because we know that our future is sure. Because we know that even the gates of hell will not prevail against your church or your kingdom and so God would we now walk in faithfulness and trust you more today we ask this in Jesus name amen